Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Sports Reports as Ordered. Mike Wilson in the house here with Raphael Rutley. We got some topics for y'all today. Hopefully you enjoy the show. You know, I just want to give a quick shout out to Mount Holly, Birmingham, and Alexandria. Y'all been holding us down. You know, I want to give a shout out to RSS for allowing us to throw our pod on there and help us out with this connection with Apple and everybody. So we are wherever you get your podcast, and we are on YouTube. So what's up, Raph? What's going on? Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram as well. And then I pulled up this uh, situation, made a little Twitter called Fear My Raph. It's Fear My Raph, Raph, R-A-F. Um, so I'm already I'm already going at people on, on Twitter. So hopefully Rob Parker gets the message. I'm going to keep shouting them out. But yeah, shout out Rob Parker, I couple. I really enjoy the show. Um, let's get into it, you know, on a Sunday afternoon. I'm still not messing with Easy Money Sniper, but, you know, that's a whole nother thing. So today, <laughs> so today we're going to talk to you all about our favorite Tom Brady moments because, you know, he just ended his career, hopefully for good this time, because, you know, I'm just concerned and I don't want no 46-year-old dude that might be lacking a little bit of awareness to get his head knocked off. But hopefully he's done for real this time. We're going to share some of our favorite Tom Brady moments. You know, then we're going to get into Detroit and L.A. That be the Trois in L.A., the Lions and the Rams. We're going to talk about who won the trade. You know, is it as simple as it seems? Rams won the Super Bowl, so they win the trade. We'll see. We're going to talk about small market NBA teams. You know, one, you know, is it a thing? Is the league Does the league not want the small market to secede? And why don't fans want the small markets to secede? Because I heard that nobody would watch the finals if it was Portland and Milwaukee, but I would. And then finally... You know, we had Daniel Jones Appreciation Day. You know, this might be a little time for LeBron James Appreciation Day. So (laughs) even I will appreciate LeBron James today. You know, somehow I'll find a way to do it. And then we got a couple of things to get off our chest. So, you know, we're going to start it off with Tom Brady. So, Raph, what's some Tom Brady moments that stand out to you? Yeah, my favorite Tom Brady moment. uh, I've I've told this story multiple times throughout my my life. it It was so funny. So I'm a young Air Force Airman stationed in Germany. I got there in 2001. It was the 2002 Super Bowl. And I remember I went to uh, this guy's house, Marv. Shout out to Marv. He was from St. Louis. And he was taking all bets on St. Louis versus New England. I mean, <laughs> bet. he walked into my shop. And I was like, Marv, what's up? Let me get this bet. Let me get $25, three to one odds. He was like, bet. Didn't didn't exhale, just bet. Didn't think about it, didn't ponder it whatsoever. So he just was taking these bets everywhere. So I'm like, all right. You know, Tom Brady had a great run that year. That was a tuck rule year. And, and then Drew Bledsoe coming in to get the eight, win the AFC Championship game, thinking he should start the Super Bowl. I mean, it was a lot going on. But I was like, you know what? I'm going with New England. I just thought that I watched – the I watched the play in the NFC Championship game. Torrey Holt got hit in the back. He ran a little drag route, got hit pretty solid, got up, started clapping, and then immediately went to the sideline. And I was like, man, I don't know if these guys really like to get hit because they were moving up and down the field so quick, getting these deep routes, getting out of bounds. Kurt Warner's getting the ball a lot. Ricky Proles, but I mean, like everybody's just moving, 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 moving. I don't know if they're really getting physical. They would get physicaled up like that. So there was a Tampa Bay game. They got physicaled up. I'm like, well, I think New England plays that tough kind of football. I'm going to go with New England. 
So we go to, go to Marv's house for the Super Bowl. I'm stationed in Germany. We're six hours ahead. I think the Super Bowl probably started somewhere around midnight, somewhere midnight, one o'clock. At late reporting the next day, so now we're partying, drinking. We had some had some company. I think it was like maybe five or six guys, something like that, four or five women. Just kind of just had a nice little simple house party, about 10 to 12 people. We got food, we got cake, carrots, all kinds of stuff. Just a great little party. So the game's going on. Marv's got his little uh, his Rams jersey on, and they're not winning. They're not dominating. It's getting close. The New England's you know getting their points, field goal, playing tough defense. They're hitting guys hard. Balls are flying everywhere. And at halftime, you know, I think New England had to lead at halftime or was close. So we played Madden at halftime. So he's killing everybody with the Rams against New England at halftime. <laughs> Madden. So at the end of the game, I'm like, well, you went on Madden, but then I go went on the field. So I'm just twisting knife a little deeper. So they tie the game up. Brady comes out, a minute something left. And I'm thinking they're going to take a knee. I remember Chris Collinsworth in the pregame said, I've never been more sure in my life that one team is going to beat another team. Talking about St. Louis beating New England. So they come out, Tom Brady moving the ball down the field. Vinatieri comes out, kicks the ball through the uprights. Mars sitting on the floor, rocks back on the floor, puts his hands on his forehead. So I'm young and obnoxious. I'm screaming in the background, I take checks. I take checks. Give me my money. I take checks. I'm just screaming, just obnoxious, young, 21-year-old, 20-year-old brash, just young. He sits up. Everybody get out of my house. <laughs> well, like, you know, I'm new. I just, I just met, you know, I've been there probably like seven or eight months. I'm new. Like, you know, I've seen people move swings or whatever. Like, I get it. Everybody get out of my house. Everybody get out of my house. So I'm still laughing. I take checks. I take checks. This old head named E came over. I was like, hey, Rutley, man, we got to go. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we got I'm like, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like, it's cold. It's January. He's like, man, we got to go. He kicked us all out, slammed the door closed. We stand outside just in the cold, just waiting. Like, <laughs> and then, so just stand out in the cold, just like, well, at least it was fun. But, like, when, yeah, when he kicked us out, I was like, this dude was serious. And he came back to my shop next week. I was like, hey, man, I got this old car in the driveway. So if you want it, you can have it. You just got to get it registered. So I'm assuming that he bet a little bit more than he uh, he wanted to. And he figured he tried to bait me off with, like, this old BMW that was in the driveway. Like, man, I only have a license yet, but it's cool. Appreciate it. <laughs> but, yeah. but that, that, was, that was my favorite Tom Brady moment. Really, honestly, it didn't really have much to do with Tom Brady. It just was the fact that like that game, when it when it happened, it was like everybody was. I'm pretty sure it's happened before, where like someone's won a Super Bowl, you go back to Joe Namath's guarantee and everything else. I'm pretty sure it's been a lot of Super Bowls where a lot of the pundits picked one team and then the other team came out and dominated. I don't really know all that information. I just know that that particular game, hearing the Collinsworth statement, and then actually seeing it happen was just the it was just the hilarious part to me. You know, first of all, Fat shouts to Ty Law. You know, let's get that out the way because we got to give him his props. You know, around that Super Bowl, you know, I was down at Seymour Johnson, you know, Shady J for those in the know. You know, so I was actually betting a few people, you know, about the same thing. But I was in my 2-5 conspiracy brain on some, you know, 9-11, you know, Patriots got to win. You know, I, I was on that type of time, you know, but... I still got some coins or shekels as they call them these days. But, you know, but I think my favorite Tom Brady moment is as someone who's always been opposed to Satan Manning, 
you know, I, all I had to hear about how this guy was the GOAT, he was the best quarterback ever, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. You know, so I think my favorite Tom Brady moment was playing against the Broncos, the high-powered Broncos that broke all the records back in 2013. You know, went up 24 to nothing at halftime on the Patriots. And somehow, you know, the Patriots came up with 31 unanswered points. You know, uh, Manning came back, tied it up, and the Pats won in overtime. So, you know, I think it was one of those moments where I felt, because I was always team Tom Brady's the GOAT before, like, a lot of other people joined. That's how I got the name 2-5. But, you know, so it was one of those moments where I was like, y'all can't deny it now. Y'all can't deny it now, or at the very least, it's a conversation. You know, this is time for you Peyton Manning fans to get it together and realize that, yes, Peyton Manning is the prototypical quarterback. If I was in a lab trying to design a quarterback right now, he would come out that guy. Yeah. But, but you know, there's certain intangibles and things that you can't teach, you know, and I think Tom Brady, that's what set him apart. You know, another fa- favorite moment that stood out that way is, you know, Tom Brady had the bad rap of, yeah, he's Mr. Get the team into position and Vinatieri comes and saves the day. And, you know, that was kind of true at one point. But I go back to 2009, a, a home game in the snow against the Tennessee Titans. You know, and Tom Brady, <laughs> he threw five touchdowns in the first quarter. You know, they, they went up 45 to nothing at halftime. You know, Randy Moss caught three of those touchdowns. Wes Welker caught two of them. And then that was another one of those moments where I was like, hey, they might not be named Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne, but, you know, this man got some weapons now. He ain't throwing it to Troy Brown anymore. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think that was those moments where Tom Brady kind of – because I wouldn't call myself a Tom Brady fan. Like, I don't like the dude very much. But, you know, <laughs> but, but, I think, but I think I just kind of recognized – because, you know, going back in the day, going back in the day – you know, we 80s babies, right? You know, we grew up on Montana, Marino, Elway, so on and so forth. And, like, out of that group, Elway was the one that had the personality. He was the one that overcame odds, if you will, you know, whatever the case may be. Montana had the stack team. Marino was just throwing a lot of yards. So, you know, Marino was on his Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers time. You know, Joe, Joe Montana, I guess, would be considered the Tom Brady back then. You know, so so I think Tom Brady was the first quarterback that I was old enough to recognize, like, hey, like, he seems to have that fire or like they talk about moxie or whatever it is. Like, he was that dude that I associate those buzzwords with, you know, yeah. but I was also wondering, Raph, like, uh, you got a favorite Joe Montana moment? Listen, yeah, we, we're 80s babies. And <laughs> up, I used to like... Uh... I used to like Cincinnati. I liked Icky Buzz. I liked Icky Shuffle. Like, it was just the, the personality. Yeah. I mean, like, I like yeah. it. I'm only do it on the sideline because they flag you if you try to do it in the end zone. Um, so I remember watching that Super Bowl, like, in my aunt's house, which is, like, I love my aunt, but it's, like, the last house you want to watch the Super Bowl at. It's just very, it was a lot of Will of Fortune, Jeopardy. Like <laughs> Mills music it was like a it was a quiet house. It was like a yeah, quiet yeah, yeah. Bottom of a hill. It was not a party house. It was not set up for a party house. So it was like it was like the last place I would have picked to pick to watch the Super Bowl. I remember thinking that as a as a kid, I'm like, why are we here? This is not like the fun 
crazy aunt. Like, my other aunt had the crazy husband and my crazy cousins, and there's a bunch of people come through the house. Like, that's the Super Bowl house. This is like, I literally watched Super Bowl like this. <laughs> Joe Montana threw the slant pass to John Taylor, and I was like, all right, well, game's over. Uh, I guess we're getting in this Volvo and going back to the house. It was a very, yeah. very mellow. It's probably my most mellow Super Bowl I've ever watched, but like, you don't have many of those moments. You have the replays, and I get that a lot of people are have an affinity to Joe Montana and somewhat of a disdain, for lack of a better word, for Tom Brady and his success. But uh, yeah, that 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 is probably my only real Joe Montana moment I can think of off the top of my head. A lot more yeah, that was, yeah, that was the first Super Bowl I ever watched. You know, or at least that I remember watching that very Super Bowl, Montana to Taylor. You know, I um. I was never a Montana's the goat kind of guy, you know, um, back then, back then, as you could probably tell by what I said earlier, you know, I was a big John Elway guy. So, you know, um, I just felt like he did it with less. And that was one of the reasons I was drawn to Tom Brady, because looking at the comparative teams that they had over the years, you know, Peyton Manning had Edron James at one point. He had Harrison, Wayne, Dallas Clark. He had Dwight Freeney on his defense, like so on and so forth. You know, whereas Brady, I tell, I ask people all the time, tell me those two or three super back, running backs that Brady won those Super Bowls with in the beginning. And, you know, a lot of times people give me the jeopardy. Do, do, do. You know, it just kind of happens, you know. So I think with Tom Brady, like his overall career changed the trajectory of, I think, how we look at quarterbacks. Because, you know, when we look at Montana, he had the dream team. You know, even on defense, you know, they had a dream team. They, the 49ers should have won all the Super Bowls in the 80s, like all of them. All the famers from the cheerleading staff to the owner's box. Mm-hmm. Linemen, tight ends, fullbacks, running backs. Tom G- Rathman in the house. Yeah. Coaches, safeties. I mean, there's Hall of Famers everywhere i think the owner got in the hall of fame the gm and all <laughs> the coach orchestrated the west coast all hey hey bill walsh had a football game before madden <laughs> football game i mean it's like definitely was he definitely was not cooking with a bear cupboard so yeah and that's what made brady stand out to me you know so another one of my favorite tom brady moments as i sit here all 41 years of age you know, Tom Brady winning that MVP at age 40, you know, like, you know, that was one of those moments where, you know, like it was inspiring, not necessarily watching him play or whatever the case may be, but just seeing that type of accomplishment where we sit around all the time talking about our knees and, you know, like our backs and all this kind of stuff. So for the fact that he was playing at that type of level, which had been mostly unseen, you know, before, it, it it was just one of those moments that stood out, but one of my favorite, favorite Tom Brady moments is the flake gate, you know, because, you know, he got in trouble for that. You know, he was destroying phones and all that kind of stuff. And then I heard the great, supposed great, Aaron Rodgers talking about, you know, how he likes the footballs at a certain level. And that just kind of went under the radar because Brady was the focus. And I'm sitting up here like, so Aaron Rodgers was deflating and overinflating balls all these years and he still couldn't win a Super Bowl. And I mean, that's neither here nor there. But, yeah. you, but, but, you know, but when that happened, you know, that was a great moment for, okay, Tom Brady, the balls are regular PSI now. What you going to do? And what did he do? 
He came back from 10 down in the Super Bowl because Pete Carroll decided to be a dumbass. That played a role. That played a role. You know what I'm saying? But Tom Brady came back from 10 down and won that Super Bowl where Seattle should have ran it. Listen, man. I've been listening to people talk about that play call since it occurred. I think it was a good play call. I just think that Malcolm Butler made a better play on the ball than anyone would expect it. You could run that same route right now 10 times and probably complete 8 out of 10 of them. And the two would probably be drops. Because the play was set up perfectly. Browner just jammed up Curse and allowed Butler to get to the spot before. There's no way you're thinking that the corner, he's on, he's on the left of the other the inside corner. So Browner's inside, Butler's on his left outside behind him. If you're looking at this pre-snap, you're like, this guy's not getting under Curse because Curse is supposed to run underneath that route and just basically push, get Browner to go backwards. Butler would have to then go around Browner, and by then the ball's already caught. Curse must have been tired from his little miracle catch he just had. <laughs> Put no effort into pushing Browner back, or Browner just was like, you know what I'm Put three and a half cornerback. I could be playing linebacker, but Bill Belichick's a genius, and he has me out here playing linebackers on <laughs> jammed him straight up. So once he jammed him straight up, Butler just had to get to the slant. It wasn't a bad play call. I just think that Butler and Browner, their execution was better than Curse, Wilson. I believe it was Lockett that ran the slant. So everyone's killing them because they had Marshawn. I remember hearing the stat that like Marshawn Lynch was like 40% on third and fourth and one inside of the two-yard line that season. So it wasn't like an automatic, yeah, the momentum and everything else. But New England had shifted their entire defensive line that way, and they were waiting on it. No one is expecting a slant on the backside except Browner and Butler. Well, and the architect, Bill Belichick. So I still think it's a good play. People can argue that Simply, oh, you should have just ran it as if people didn't get stopped running the ball at the goal line. It's not like it's a guarantee. I still think the play call was good. So so one of the number one things, so one of the number one things that I hear buzzwords when I'm watching games nowadays is halftime adjustments. You know, one of the things that Peyton Manning was so great at was audibles and, you know, putting people in the right place. So you're not wrong from that standpoint. And I like the I like the play call maybe if it was first down, you know, instead of second down. But you know, at that point, Marshawn Lynch was 24 rushes for 102 yards. You know, as you brought up the defensive shift, that's why they invented counters. You know, that's what, that's why you run the opposite way or pull some misdirection or whatever the case may be. If you want to pass the ball in that situation, you got Russell Wilson who is not Ryan Leaf or Peyton Manning, RPO. You can, you can go that route if you have to throw the ball. But I think what threw me off was when, because, you know, I admit you're a lot better at this whole, like, hey, they're in cover two and all that kind of stuff than I am, you know. But I did notice that there was a nickel back out there. And I know that's not a necessarily, back then at least, that wasn't a common thing that you saw in the goal line. And another thing that I hear all the time is, 
when you're in the red zone, the field gets shorter. There's not much room to be doing, you know, to run it. So, so that's where, for me, they were just about as close as the Titans were when they got stopped in the Super Bowl against the Rams. They were like three feet away. So, you know, from that standpoint, the dude is named Beast Mode. You know what I mean? Put a, you know, use a fullback. Hand it off to the fullback if you got to. So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be Marshawn getting the ball. Yeah, I get that you could have called a run there, but people are acting as if the run was a guarantee simply because the pass got intercepted. I don't think it was a guarantee, the, the, but, you, but you get some more time the, off the clock. McNair, too. The McNair pass, he was at like the six or seven. They they were, and they didn't have any timeouts. They couldn't run right. the ball. Mm-hmm. Seattle had a timeout. Everyone in the stadium is expecting them to run the ball to include the New England defense, at least nine of the players expect them to run the ball. And there was some, I saw some tape later that they were practicing that play. It must have been a play that they used a lot throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And maybe you prepare yourself to like, you know what, they might run this play. And Bill knew it, the defensive game plan. They knew it because they practiced that. And they said in practice, it worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, like offensively, like they scored touchdowns on that play almost every time because it's a simple concept. If you just simply get cursed to get three yards up the field into the, if he's, if he pushes Browner into the end zone, stands him up, then Butler can't come boom at a 45 degree and get to the ball. He didn't do that. So like he didn't do his part. So the real critique of the play in and of itself is that Browner jammed up curse curse. If curse does his part, then it's Lockett holding on to the ball. It just the 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 re, I think the reaction is based on the result, not the play call, because you could throw the ball down there. Colin Kaepernick threw a pass at the goal line against Baltimore. No one said it was a bad play. It just was incomplete, which is we happened. damn sure wanted a pass interference though. But you, you know, could, but, you but, a pass interference. But, but, I think, but I think the thought is, you know, at least my thought. I think the thought is, you know, you get stopped on second down or whatever the case may be. You know, you still got a timeout, you know, saying, and at the very least, you're bleeding more clock that when you do get this touchdown. It was like under, I think it was under a minute. It was, yeah, it was, it was like within, I think, I think it was near like 20 seconds, actually. Yeah, you know what I mean? Seconds, I think. You, you, you know, and on that play, when they started, I think when they snapped the ball, it was like maybe 20. But you don't leave, you don't leave the refs, you don't leave the refs any opportunity to help Tom Brady. I learned that a long time ago. You know what I mean? So if you get stopped, you still got third down, you still got fourth down. So this isn't like a fourth down call where game was on the line and it blew up and now the game is over or whatever the case may be. You still had room to adjust if that play didn't, if that run play or whatever didn't work. And like I said, it'd be different if they were at like the four or the five or whatever the case may be, but they were literally about three feet away. You know what I mean? And you know what I mean? Marshawn Lynch, had already gashed them for 100 yards. So, like, yes, you know, but that's where we get into today's football, like the 2020s football. It's constant adjustment. It's constant. The defense is showing us this. We should do this. And I think that was just missing because at some point, like I said, you're better at analysis as far as the formations and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if I noticed that there was the nickelback in there, I'm sure Pete Carroll knew that the nickelback was in there. Yeah, but with Bill Belichick, he talked about it in an interview. He was like basically almost 80% of your defensive snaps, you're in nickel because of 
all the people who throw the ball a lot, all of the def- offensive alignments, you're basically in nickel with the a big a big nickel back. Right, right. Back. But but like Seattle they, wasn't but Seattle wasn't your traditional throw it team. You know what they, I mean? Like they, they threw it a lot. They had uh they went three wide a lot. And then with Marshawn and then moving Russell Wilson. Because when you have yeah, keep in mind Pete Carroll was there for a few years. I don't really think he had the quarterback that can could do what Russell could do. So I think he was taking advantage of that. I just think ultimately the play didn't work because Curse didn't get deep enough in his route and Butler made a great play. I don't think any because if 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 the slant if the slant pass is caught, mm-hmm. are people critiquing it? Probably not. Probably not. So like Probably how not. bad call if it would have worked, no one would have said anything. Well, that's any play in football. football <laughs> throwing it at the one yard line in the Super Bowl. Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, they must have some kind of synergy. It would have been some blah 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 in there. <laughs> the the reaction because if it works, you're good to go. Because let's keep it 100. Julian Edelman scored a touchdown from inside the five yard line on a pass from Tom Brady when he ran a little dig route. Mm-hmm. But he pushed off, and then the cornerback. But that was a pass. It you was. Could, you could have ran it. You had whoever in the backfield and the best offensive line, they should have ran it. Because if Edelman doesn't catch that pass like they did the previous drive, because the previous drive, he missed that pass. But then Amendola caught the touchdown in the back, and then that got him within three, and then when they got the ball back. But see, I think, I think that's where. Well, I think it's just a matter of people are, people are more upset about the result and not necessarily understanding the dynamics of the play. Well, see, I think that's where Seattle's reputation gets them in trouble because Seattle was the tough team. You know, they were the bullies or whatever the case may be. It's three feet. Line up and push somebody. Knock them on their ass, get in the end zone. You know, and like I said, if it doesn't work, you got third and fourth down to get cute or whatever you want to do. Call an RPO, whatever the case may be. Because obviously, obviously, obviously Malcolm Butler... Malcolm Butler, like you said, Malcolm Butler saw something or whatever. You know what I mean? He knew what was coming to some. Yeah, they practiced. They practiced. You, that. Know, you know what I mean? So, 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 like, so, so, there's got to be something in the defensive setup. You know, as you're the Seahawks offense or whatever the case, you line up. You're about to run this play, and you see, oh, he ain't supposed to be there, or like whatever the case may be. You know, there's got to be something that triggers something that but allows you to. The leeway to change that play because you can still throw, but it didn't have to be that throw. The, the play, the play was, it was the perfect play. Like the way it's drawn up, it's simple. It's essentially a legal pick play. Kirsch just has to get deep, and it's it shouldn't be that difficult for him to. I mean, run. yeah, it works for it, me on Madden. He, but he just didn't get he didn't get his depth because if you think, like I said, the way they were lined up. All he has to do is get into the end zone. Mm-hmm. He stopped at the one-yard line the mm-hmm. same way a run play could have got stopped at the one-yard line. And then Butler still has to react to get to the ball. It's, it was something so, so, like so, so if that play doesn't work. 0.4 tenths of a second reaction. So, so, so if that play doesn't work. So if that play doesn't work, like it's an incomplete pass or batted instead of intercepted. And then Seattle goes on to not score. Like that still might be something people bring the up. The argument would have if the argument is about the results, not the play. 
It's, and, and I think that's the truth with any football I don't play. Think you, people just say you should have ran it because you threw and it got intercepted. Because if they would have caught it, like I said, Tom Brady just threw two touchdown passes inside the five-yard line on the previous two drives. Mm-hmm. And the play that he caught, that he threw the go-ahead touchdown on, they ran the previous drive. No one says anything about that because Edelman, Amendola caught the other touchdown and then Edelman caught the go-ahead touchdown. Mm-hmm. Those don't go, if they don't go to form, then the narrative is like New England really should work on a run game inside the five or 10 yard line. But the the, the narrative. That, that would be valid though. But you got Tom Brady, you always got a chance. You could just make, all you need is a little window for Julian Edelman. He's one of the best postseason wide receivers in history. But see, but I think that's it's, the difference though, because if people had that criticism of New England, it would be a valid criticism. Not necessarily because the play didn't work out per se, but that it's a valid criticism of the Colts or whoever Peyton Manning played for because they would throw a lot of one-yard touchdown passes that you have those moments of if it doesn't work, one yard they should have ran the ball. So I think that's just the nature that's of football. The, the pass got caught, so no one critiques it. Oh, I People critique only it. critique it when, <laughs> it works. when it's I a one-yard it. touchdown pass, it's fine because it, it got caught. But when it doesn't get caught, then it's like, oh, they really should work on a running game. No. I critique it all the time because I always say – I critique it all the time because I always say that if Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers threw less one-yard touchdown passes, they might have more Super Bowls. No, like you, you throw it, more, you throw it gets, more it gets, one you, passes it gets you into that false sense of security. And then when a team knows your tendency, I they tend to stop it. You five wide every time it's fourth and two. Yes, you should maybe every once in a while – have a little umph. But if you have a good enough pass game to where you can make it happen with your pass game, you go for it. And if you, you have a dude, that with results. And if you have a dude named Beast Mode, you run it for three feet. You know, but that's neither I mean that analytically he wasn't he wasn't automatic. He wasn't No, automatic. he wasn't automatic. He wasn't so, automatic, but it's but but I think there's a there's a risk analysis as well. You know what I mean? Like is it more likely that Marshawn Lynch fumbles or is it more likely that the Seahawks throw an interception? I don't have the answer to that question, but it's just a, yeah, it's, it's a hypothetical. He it's a hypothetical. Or five tenths of a second. Because, because it was second down. So you still, so like I said, even if they stopped Marshawn on that play, you still have two downs to get it right. Yeah. And like I said, I, I get all like that information. Like you have more opportunities if this one thing doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I just know if the pass was completed, the conversation about you shouldn't have called a pass play would not still be a conversation we're having in 2020. Yeah, and I mean, and it that, would and be that, like, can you believe Russell Wilson what should have had two Super Bowl MVPs? Because yeah, think that's that's not a but that's not a Seattle, you know. Um, Russell Wilson thing like we do that if teams go for it on fourth down you know why'd you call that play or like why'd you do this or why'd you do that knowing that we ain't on the field it was like the conversation you and I had about the uh Buffalo Baltimore play Mm -hmm. if it works Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson are in sync synergy ballsy laying it all out there all of that stuff yeah doesn't work it's just outrage if you What you said to me is doesn't sound like outrage. You're like, listen, if you don't get it on second down, you got a timeout, call a timeout, regroup, maybe get a fullback in there, get some power running, and then you go forward. That's not outrage. 
My thing is like the people who are screaming, that gotta be the dumbest play caller. <laughs> when it's like, well, when it didn't work for Kaepernick and Crabtree and Harbaugh in the Super Bowl, no one called it a dumb call. They said, oh, it should have been a pass interference. So the pass interference should have got you another attempt at the end. So, so like it just people always find a piece of the 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 play to be outraged about in lieu of breaking it down. I like listening to coaches break down the plays. I like listening to coaches and defensive players talk about, oh, in the fire zone, this guy's supposed to get this kind of mm-hmm. That, to me, makes more sense. If you tell me on fourth and two at the 50-yard line, the play was stupid, tell me why. Like, why was it stupid? Like, what what did not happen? What was supposed mm-hmm. to happen? Where did they fall short? Like, guys like Mangini, Ryan Clark, uh, Hubie Brown with basketball. A lot of these people who talk about the play, Tony Romo to an extent, they talk about this is what the play should look like. Peyton Manning was really big on that. He does it a lot on Monday Night Football, him and Eli. I like that part of it. The people who said that play was stupid, they don't break down why they thought it was stupid. Other than well, I, will, well, I will tell you that USC is stupid because against Texas, they didn't have Reggie Bush and Lindell White on the field at the same time on fourth down. But that's a whole nother conversation. But since we took it to L.A., you know, let's talk about Detroit, the Lions and the Rams. Like, so the Rams won the Super Bowl. Do you think they won the trade? No. I don't think they want to trade. I think they gave up too much draft capital that literally a couple of injuries. Cooper Cup, yes, best wide receiver on your team, your quarterback, and then one of the best defensive players in the league and, you know, league this season and historically, they're all out. So, yeah, that's going to impact you. But literally, it almost had their coach ready to resign because you – you buried the cupboard to win the Super Bowl, and then you tried to cook another meal for the 2022-23 season. It was like, oh, I'm I'm out of stuff. I don't have I don't have draft picks next year. Your record was so bad. Detroit's going to get a good draft pick this year out of it. They have a quarterback and a coach combination that like they seem to believe in each other. The synergy. Granted, they only went nine and eight, but they knocked Aaron Rodgers out of the playoffs, which is what that coach wanted. You know, so I think that this, that was, that's the key is like Detroit got a quarterback and change. A lot of people, when you make those kind of trades, you don't get a quarterback. I remember Cal Orton, Jay Cutler trade. I don't remember a lot of quarterbacks or quarterback trades. A lot of quarterbacks just get cut. Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz, um, you know, you just, you get these guys cut. Like Derek Carr, I think people are trying to make a move for Derek Carr. It just doesn't seem to work when you go out there and you just you you get a quarterback from another team and the person immediately shows up and it works. I think it worked in Detroit because I don't think Jared Goff was a problem in L.A. I just think it might have been, you know, the rumors on the backside. It was like some personal tiff between coach and the coach's family and diff- different players. It was like and Jared Goff was one of those players where like their relationship kind of soiled. So ship him out of town. But you got a guy in who, best case scenario, staff gives you, what, two more years at the level that he gave you last, not the season that he just got hurt, but the Super Bowl season. Best case scenario, you get one. I mean, we're looking at a lot of quarterbacks hit the wall. Matt Ryan hit the wall. Aaron Rodgers didn't throw for over 200 
70 yards in any game this season. Tom Brady didn't look good. He's he's gone. You've seen guys, Russell Wilson didn't look good. I know a lot of people define, define logic with time, and Father Time's undefeated. Mm-hmm. Some of these guys hit the wall. Now you got a quarterback with an elbow injury, and you and he's getting older. He's already got a Super Bowl. He's considered a Hall of Famer in some circles. How much more are you going to get out of him? Considering that the coach, we all know publicly, the coach had to say, I'm coming back. So how does that factor into guys like Aaron Donald? Like, so you ready to bounce? Because we had one bad year. He was ready. They, there were rumors that he was going to bounce after they won the Super Bowl. Once again, whatever those rumors were, he didn't make an announcement like he did after mm-hmm. the I am definitely coming back. Don't take your ball and go home, McVeigh. Yeah. So it's like, let's 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 figure this out. Did uh did John Harbaugh have to make an announcement saying he's coming back to coach Baltimore next year? No, but Baltimore should have made an announcement that he wasn't coming. Oh, that. wrong conversation. Wrong conversation. Mike didn't make an announcement saying I'm definitely coming back next year. Um, I don't think Pete Carroll, he's the oldest coach in the league. I don't think he made that announcement. Bill Belichick didn't make the announcement either. All these guys have been to Super Bowl. They won Super Bowls. They've had ups and downs. Tom Tom has never had a below 500 season, so McVeigh has one bad year and he's like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the booth. I, I can't handle this. I think that's because Dan Campbell he didn't Dan Campbell got up there in the press conference and listen. I know at some point I've been hired and fired and fired multiple times this season and my job was on the line and it's not on the line. The guy's authentic. I think people rock with that. I can't see I don't see LA getting any better next year. I don't see San Francisco defense getting worse. I think the Cardinals may not get too much better. I don't know who they pick up in free agency while Kyler heals. But I don't see their division getting, like, remarkably worse. And I don't see just those guys coming back without the draft capital getting that much better. Unless they make a move, like some more trades, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, you get some pieces for them and then maybe spread out the talent. But I think Detroit's going to have more sustained success with the picks they got from L.A. than what L.A. is going to have from what they got from Detroit. Yeah, and see, um, when it comes to Sean McVay, see, we, we, we found that bridge. You and Rob Parker agree on something, you know, making progress here. Yeah, you know? I agree. like I said, Rob Parker, <laughs> Parker, I agree a lot with what Rob Parker says, except when it comes to the, 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 the obvious points where he has a little bit of an axe to grind. Right. It, it, so, it comes off less like that. It comes off more like, uh, you know, animosity than analytics. So, you know, um, just for a quick recap, you know, Jared Goff for Matt Stafford and, you know, the Rams sent two first round picks and a third rounder. You know, so when this so when I thought about this question and we were talking about it initially, I wanted to say the Rams won. You know, just because they won the Super Bowl and, you know what I mean, it's hard to, you know, win Super Bowls and, you know, it's not guaranteed that Detroit are going to turn these picks into anything that's going to help them win the Super Bowl. But, and I also, you know, wanted to disagree with you too, but, you know, <laughs> but, 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 but once I sat down and thought about it, um, it makes sense to take that viewpoint if the trade was just straight up Matt Stafford for Jared Goff, and then nothing else happened. Yeah, but the Rams also, but the, but the Rams, yeah, but the Rams also added Odell Beckham. You know, they also added Von Miller. 
So, you know, it wasn't just a swap of quarterbacks. There were some other things at play as well. I would also argue that for the fact that Detroit is even relevant enough for us to have this conversation and to be on the brink of a playoff berth is a win for Detroit. You know, where they've been. They haven't won a playoff game since like 1991, you know, and prior to that, the previous one was like 1957, you know, so I mean, yeah, but. But then I thought about it, right? And I said, okay, so add Von Miller, add Odell Beckham. If I kept Jared Goff, do I have a chance to win the Super Bowl? And I said, yes. Like, so granted, Matt Stafford had to throw against Tampa. You know, we know that. But it's not as if the Rams hadn't made a Super Bowl with Jared Goff before. You know, so so we had some success to go off of that the Rams can win with this guy. It's just hard to win a Super Bowl, and they ran into Belichick, who pulled McVay's pants down. You know, so with the Rams, this trade is just what the Rams do, because I looked back and I saw that they gave two first round picks that they could use right now to Jacksonville for the Jalen Ramsey deal. And then with Stafford being hurt this year and all the things that fell apart in SoFi this year, you know, the Lions have a top five pick in this upcoming draft. Because of the Rams. Which they can use, like Miami used, to leverage and get a few more picks, a few more pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember when remember when the, the, the Washington football team, under their former name, created all those picks to get RG3, and then they played at St. Louis, and then St. Louis sent out all the players that they got from that deal to do the coin toss. Yep. That's the kind of stuff you get when you're the the team that's viewed as more desperate because you have a losing culture. Whereas Mm -hmm. the team that's viewed as more successful, they think they're one piece away. Well, that one piece lined up, it was like six players or something like that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. You think like the Atlanta with the Michael Vick deal, San Diego... They got LaDainian Thomason, Andrew Brees in the same draft with picks that they got to get for Atlanta to get the number one. So they yeah. got all the famers out of that. So the team that makes the desperation move normally doesn't last long. Atlanta had that run, and then it and then it was it was slim pickets until they got Matt Ryan. Which was yeah, and we can't forget and we can't forget Ricky Williams. Come on, man. We can't they, forget they, that room you know but but the, but detroit you might dick on tv in years because they're like listen man we starting to evaluate these things through analytics <laughs> you just made the dumbest move ever that's a dumber move than the pet than the pete care play call but whatever we can get back to that you know so 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 detroit also I gotta step aside for one second but i'm still listening so detroit was also also able to use some flexibility to turn one of those picks into jamison williams you know who is going to be a great receiver for them, in my opinion, for years to come, paired with Amon Ross St. Brown. So, you know, Detroit, I think, is in a position now to be the rulers of the North because, you know, I love Kirk Cousins, KC8, y'all know that. But, you know, Minnesota always gives you a chance to win. So, you know, Aaron Rodgers is either going to not play for Green Bay or he's going to play like crap because – but at the same time – while he has not thrown for 275 yards or whatever that arbitrary number is, I'll still take him over a quarterback that didn't throw for 200 yards 
in but six of his seven or six of his sixteen games. But you know, uh, Jacksonville also came along after the Jalen Ramsey deal, and you know they were able to get uh, Travis Etienne. They were able to get Chase on. So, you know, and look at them right now. Granted, they got Trevor Lawrence, but look at them right now. So the Rams aren't doing anything but helping these also Rams become relevant again. So, again, I reiterate, if the trade was just Matthew Stafford for Jared Goff, and then they didn't add Odell Beckham, they didn't add Vaughn Miller and all that stuff, and then they went on to win the Super Bowl, then I can argue hands down that the Rams won the trade. You know, but now what are the Rams? They got that Super Bowl out the way. You know, what are they now? Is this a Lakers situation where you win the bubble championship, put all the chips in for that one year, and now you're at the back of the pack? Is that going to be the Rams now? While Detroit championship? Yes, the 2020 championship. 2020 championship. The 2020 2020 NBA World Championship. So while while Detroit is sitting up here – so while Detroit is sitting up here at eleven and six or thir- or uh, twelve and five coming up, it doesn't make much matter to the Rams if they're sitting there at six and eleven. You know because you know now Von Miller's not there. Aaron Donald is just as flimsy as Sean McVay is when it comes to coming back. You know Jalen Ramsey is rumored to get traded, and the Rams aren't going to get back anything close to those players. And apparently they don't do first round draft picks, so I don't know what they're going to get back. So I think looking at it in a vacuum, it's easy to say the Rams won because they did seal it with the Super Bowl. But I can't help but feel Detroit's future, even if they don't win a Super Bowl, you know, if Detroit makes an NFC championship game, you know, for that franchise and where they are. Now, if this was the Cowboys, I might not feel that way. If this was San Francisco, I might not feel that way. If it was Pittsburgh, I might not feel that way. But I'm looking at this through the lens of, you are Detroit. This is what you do. You know, you're you're a nobody. And now we got a reason to have conversation about you. That's a win within itself. And plus, you know, going back to Dan Campbell, I like biting them kneecaps. You know, Yo, he had me sold with that speech. Press conference. I, I, I didn't watch. I watched maybe like a portion of Sirianni press conference and, you know, sort of the pundits said that that was a bad one. Dan Campbell biting kneecaps on the way down, on the way up. It's like, I understand the sentiment. We're going to be a tough team. Um, Nick Wright pointed this out. He was like, I hate when coaches come out there and say, we're going to take on the personality of our city. You know, Philly, you know, a tough city, real gritty. So he was like, so if you're a Miami football team, you're supposed to be flashy and, and bright and, like, you can't be tough because Miami's not known as a a tough city is known as the vacation city. Like, I mean, so that, that argument that, oh yeah, we're going to be a tough city. And I get it. It worked out. But I think the, I think Detroit got, I'm going to say lucky, but I think they benefited off the desperation of, of ego. Cause there's Yo, no, there was no reason for LA to trade Jerry Goff other than if, if it really was that big, big of an interpersonal problem, then, okay, you got to you got to go. You got to get got to get him out of town. But I don't think Stafford was the reason that they won the Super Bowl. I mean, no. two picks in the Super Bowl, and he threw up a hail mary in the middle of the early in the fourth quarter against San Francisco in the game before that. So I don't think he was out there. And he had like three games in a row, like Matt Schaub style. Where he threw he led the league in picks last year. He led the league in picks that year. He he led the league. He had three games in a row where he threw a pick six. One of them, he was in the middle of the end zone getting sacked. It was like, just take the safety. 
So all I heard right there was, "Don't tell me this dude is a Hall of Famer." But anyway, yeah, man, that's you know. But so 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 you know, <laughs> so you so you know. With that being said, you know, I'm supposed to believe that this guy was the difference when he had 11 or 12 years in Detroit and didn't even win one playoff game with a dude called Megatron. Like I'm supposed to believe that this guy was the piece that put the Rams over the top as if, like I said, as if they didn't go get Odell Beckham or Von Miller or whatever the case may be and add to that. So, I mean, you got Cooper Cup on one side, you got Odell on the other side, who Baker Mayfield is the only quarterback that can't find a way to get Odell the ball. You know, get it, it reminds me of a black head coach, right? You know what I mean? Like, you, you know what I mean? You give him the crap team, you fire him. Now you go get a franchise quarterback. Now you go, you know, start hey, building in the D. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? It's like the same concept. Matt Matt Ryan, I mean, I'm sorry, Matt, Matt Stafford walked into a BMW. He didn't turn it into a Rolls Royce. You know, he just added some new tires to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I mean, that's the simple way that I look at it. Quick sidebar. Did you work with uh, Lieutenant Hall when you were at Hill? Uh, it's, it's not ringing a bell. With Air Force Academy. He got stationed. He was, he was, he worked. Like real, real, real skinny, dark hair guy? No, it's, uh, the blonde, stocky, he was the ex-football player. He was like Mount West football player of the year. Well, no, he was, I don't, I don't think was so. a lieutenant. I know he worked at MOS. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think I ran into him. But yeah. So he came to my shop. I gave the tour, and I was like, "Are you Chad Hall?" He was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Like the Chad Hall, like with Air Force Academy." He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "What are you doing here?" Like he was like Mount West play offensive player of the year. I was like, "What are you doing here?" He's like, "Well, I didn't do my two year commitment." Well, he ended up getting drafted to Philly, and he, you know, after he did like a year, he got to do. He went to the draft combine at Utah, and got drafted by Philly. He was a Philly. I think now he's a Bills wide receiver coach. His uh, sister married to Matt Stafford. Wow. Kelly, yeah. huh? I'm pretty sure you were either in the same email chain as him or in some probably some kind of meeting. You Probably, probably yeah. But yeah, like, so it's, it's funny that his, his... Six degrees of separation, baby. His sister was married to Matt Stafford, yeah. And you know, and I can't, I can't bring up the Air Force Academy without giving a shout out to my guy, Dustin Ireland, you know, um, Air Force wide receiver. So, you know, I can't I can't let that go. I actually know him, but on the side, no Bo Morgan and, you know, all that. So, you know, go Air Force, you know, aim high, you know. But but, you know, I, I always wonder, though, you know, when I look back at these conversations of who win trades and who don't, you know, we talked about a trade last week where I brought up, you know, um, the Paul Gasol trade where I brought up. We don't look at these things after the fact. You know, we look at them in the moment and then we address it in the moment. So that's where, like. I think that vein of thought of the Rams won the Super Bowl, so they won the trade. I think that's where that comes from, you know, but I just don't know that they don't win that same Super Bowl if they still make the other acquisitions. If they keep Jared Goff and make those other acquisitions, I think they still have a shot to win that Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, and, you know, and like I said, it's not as if he had Stafford had a Montana to Taylor moment or something where you know, he led this drive or whatever the case may be. Like, you know, because if I recall correctly, Stafford didn't even win Super Bowl MVP. You know, um, that was uh, Cooper Cup. Yeah. So, so, you know what I mean? Like, that's... if he only had one pick, he would have been Super Bowl MVP. 
But see, that's Brett, that's Brett Favre vibes, right? You keep telling me how great this guy is, but Desmond Howard got the Super Bowl MVP. You know what I mean? It was, I remember John Madden was talking about, it's going to be a tough vote, dude. I'm like, man. <laughs> because so, Super Bowl MVP is probably like my favorite NFL award. Mm-hmm. Because it truly just evaluates that game. Not your position, not the circumstances. Like, what did you do in that game? K.J. Wright. Exactly. He got the pick six. I thought Russell Wilson was going to get it. But I guess in a 43-8 to eight game, <laughs> where the other team, that they, the they were over 30 points a game in that season. Like, easy. That was about touchdown year. Yeah. So that was the that was the year that they beat that Denver beat the uh Cowboys fifty two to forty eight and everybody got mad because Romo threw a pick right after the two minute warning as if the defense didn't give up fifty two points. Yeah, the defense gave up fifty two. <laughs> <laughs> Most so, so, teams, so, the, the top teams averaged like twenty six or twenty seven points. So that means they gave up two games worth of points in one yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. So riddle me this. If we wake up next February turn on the TV and the Super Bowl is, and this ain't going to happen, but just for conversation, and the Super Bowl is Arizona against Tennessee. You watching it? Absolutely. So why don't nobody want to watch Portland and Milwaukee play for the NBA Finals? I don't know where that came from. We just had a whole, we just had a 15, 20 minute conversation about LA versus Detroit and both of us leaning Detroit as the more advantageous place, the place that's going to do better going forward. I don't understand the small market narrative, considering that you and I are having a conversation on my phone. You're in Texas, I'm in Jersey. You can connect any kind of way you want. I got YouTube playing on the TV behind me. I got a laptop here. I have an iPad sitting right here. I can have three or four different games going on at once from all over the country. It's easy to connect people. I just think the small market argument is that I think the, the the personalities don't want to play there. But if you get the personalities there and they perform, then which because Buffalo's not a big market. Kansas right. City's not a big market. Cleveland is not a big market, but yet we watched all of those games, even though those four years when it looked like, or at least those three years when it was like you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers didn't have a chance. We still watch those games. People watch San Antonio win, San Antonio versus Cleveland. You just got to have the players. You got to have the players to galvanize the ratings. But as far as, like, individual people, I don't know why someone from Kentucky wouldn't want to watch a Portland versus Milwaukee NBA Finals. I don't know how that impacts you to the point where you don't find it the game of basketball interesting enough to watch that finals. That narrative doesn't make any sense to me coming from whomever is creating that that conversation. It just doesn't make any well, sense. I don't I don't know why fans care about ratings. Like cause like you know why does that factor into your watching of the game? Right. Like you you're a follower? I see if it's a boxing match and it's one person versus another, like you're like, I don't find any of these guys interesting. Okay. I understand that piece. It's like, all right, well, maybe they'll put on a good fight, maybe not. But if you, like, if you and I were in a, a pay-per-view fight, they're like, hey, two 41-year-old guys are going to fight in a pay-per-view fight in August. And the people didn't want to watch, I get it. No one knows who we are. 
We're not professional boxers. I can see where, like, that's the drawback. But if Milwaukee's playing Portland, you have a two-time MVP, a finals MVP. Giannis can't have, hit the free throw. Then you have Damian Lillard. They make, like, you know, this happens. Damian Lillard, uh, Dame Time, Adidas deal, big in this community, all these other accolades that we know because we're avid sports fans. And you have them paired off in the NBA Finals. It's summertime. It's that law. On top of that, it's the law between any any sports really ramping up. There's no football. It's football talk. Not much. Baseball is just getting started. The baseball all-star game is until July. So you have like this law where it's like all you really have is, is just basketball. You have basketball and baseball. So why wouldn't you watch one of the two options you have sports-wise when it's the finals of that sport? It's the championship. It's the thing you all it's well, first of all, four and six, five and two, five and four, one and eight, all these arguments we have, two and three in Super Bowl, seven, like all these arguments we have about sports and the championship count. Why wouldn't you watch a championship round? Because the two teams came from a small town in the middle of the country. Well, you know, first of all, I'm watching Alexander Ovechkin get close to breaking this Wayne Gretzky record that I never thought was going to get broken. But, you know, but what, what caught me, you know, as we were thinking about this. So out of the 75 NBA titles that have been won. 53 of them belong to five teams. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> I mean, of course, 34. This, I know you, you, you think it and then someone gives you the number. You're like. Yeah, so of course you got the 34 between the Lakers and Lakers, Celtics. Celtics. You know, then you got the six from the Bulls, the five from the Spurs. You know, so so right there, just right there, that puts you at 45 titles. So so I mean, I, I'm like, it, it it doesn't make sense. Like you know what I mean? So 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 back, so before TV blew up, you know. I guess there was a thing like people still wanted to be in L.A. People still wanted to be in Boston, even though the league was on tape delay or whatever the case may be. Like that was still a thing. But in 2023, you know, we were talking about college football, you know, offline, you know, and places like Nebraska and Notre Dame had all the heritage. They were on TV all the time. But now in 2023, everybody's on TV all the time. So 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 why does that not work for the NBA where like if I wanted to watch Chicago in you know I don't know Utah I could find that on WGN or whatever the case may be or I could find it on these channels or like you know they just moved the LeBron games to ESPN2 and all that kind of stuff cuz he's about to break the record but you know so is it are more teams not on TNT and ESPN or whatever because there's just no demand for them I think it's just probably a lot of teams lose a lot of games very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think the small market part of it, I think, is kind of a cop out. Because pay your players, Mm -hmm. keep your players, keep your coaches, Mm -hmm. win games. That's a formula. Just pay them, pay them, play them, pay them, coach them, win games. That's it. Cleveland went to the NBA Finals four years in a row. You ever been to the city of Cleveland? I've been to Cincinnati once. It's not a vacation. It's not a vacation. Salt Lake City. 
It's not very big. Stadium, Vivint Stadium, or when it was Delta Delta Airlines Arena. It's still Delta. Full. Mm-hmm. 18 to 20,000 people, whatever that number is, somewhere in that range. Every single game. 41 home games. But they win. They win games. Yes, they don't win championships, but they win games. You know, at all those years where they weren't winning games. You can't charge me $200 a ticket for you to go look bad and lose. It's one thing. Like, the Lakers look good and still lose just because they just don't have enough firepower. It's good basketball. They're losing games 121, 116. You know, the Warriors look good. Clay, Steph, Draymond being the floor general, Jordan Poole with the dribbles. It, it looks it's entertaining. They just happen to lose. Minnesota same way. They they have the they have the product out there on the floor. Golden State is not a big market. People don't really. If you ask people like where in California Golden State actually plays their basketball, you can just say, hey, are they Southern California, Central, or Northern California? Like, point out on the map. You don't have to give me the city exactly where the stadium is. Like most people don't know, they just know Golden State. They know Steph Curry's poster. Clay Thompson's poster, Draymond Green's on the podcast. That market's not very big. Just outside of San Francisco, Santa Clara, that Oakland area. That that market's not big. Sac- but Sacramento's right there, and they have empty seats all the time. So it's not a matter of where you are. It's a matter of what the product you put out there. And I think these small market teams that are putting that are putting out bad products are pushing the narrative that players don't want to be here. Donovan Mitchell was in Utah for a long time. He's from New York. Yeah, they traded him out because they probably didn't want to pay him. So they used him, traded him, got picks. They paid Gobert, didn't work out, traded him, got picks. They're still a good team. You so, just have so, to be good at managing your team. If you had to guess right now, who do you think are the top three teams as far as what they pay in luxury tax? So that's the tax essentially over the salary cap. Mm-hmm. If but you had to guess a top three, top and know, three, and know the Lakers are not one of them. Uh, yeah, because they they don't have anyone. They only paying two dudes. Well, Russ, um, I would say Golden State, mm-hmm. Dallas, and who's overpaying players right now? I think Philly. All right, so Golden State is correct. Golden State's number two. Number three is Brooklyn, and then no- thinking that, but they only like they only got two guys. That's why, unless they're still paying James Harden money. And then number one is the Clippers. So as I was going down this list, looking at the luxury tax, you know, I started thinking to myself, you know, so what's going to happen in a few years when Memphis doesn't go so far, or whatever the case may be, like they don't match that the expectation or whatever they're getting into now. And John Morant gets a little antsy or whatever the case may be. So looking at today, Memphis is 28th in what they're paying in luxury tax. So, yeah, that's going to be Memphis's job to go out there and spend a little bit of luxury tax to to improve the team. You know, Um, and I don't know if they're willing to do that. I don't know if they can do that, you know, but I just think that endorsements are a bigger deal. So like, you know, you play in Brooklyn, you play in LA, you're just right there. But I don't see why a player that plays for like, say, the Hornets, 
couldn't get endorsement deals if they deserved them. The meeting is right there. That's it. Mm -hmm. LeBron James playing basketball in L.A., Paul George playing basketball in in L.A., Brooklyn, New York, the meetings are right there. Go, Mm -hmm. You can go to the meetings. That's it. It's not as if I don't know who Ja Morant is because he plays in Memphis. If he went to a Memphis college that wasn't on TV like the mid-90s before, like, like Penny got Memphis on TV and then they started kind of setting up to where like the reason that these we had so many Cinderella's in the early 2000s in the NCAA tournament is because people weren't playing Wichita State. They weren't playing Davidson. They weren't playing Murray State. They weren't playing them on TV. So you get a guy out there like I remember one year I bet on I had the South Dakota University the South Dakota State Jackrabbits? Jackrabbits. I picked them a couple times because I watched the tournament. I remember in high school, Gonzaga wasn't on the market yet. They weren't a, 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 a top school. And I had this uh, a math teacher. He was doing a tournament. And I picked the, the team out of Utah State because I watched the tournament that got them in. I think it was like the Big Sky back then. And then... Was, I think guys named Matt Santangelo and Gonzaga. And I watched their tournament because ESPN put those tournaments on. So I started looking at those players. So I picked a couple of those teams. And my teacher was like, how do you know to pick these guys? I'm like, because they just are, they just score. Like no one's ever seen them. And they just scored a rock. There was one guy, he didn't have a neck. I forgot, he's like, he had a girl. <laughs> but he was from Utah State. He was killing this black dude. Hey, shout out to Dan Dickow. Yeah, I was just like, yo. So that's why I picked him. So then when Steph Curry had his 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 coronation into the tournament, I think even Wallace Zerbiak back in the day out of Miami, mm-hmm. Ohio, a lot of these guys don't get seen. So it was a surprise. Now everybody gets seen. LaMelo Ball plays in Charlotte. He had a Facebook show when he was in high school. We knew his brother's dad was. Dad was Charlie. Like, you have to just work it a little differently. The thing is, what Memphis is going to do, they're not going to pay John Morant. Or they're not going to pay somebody else and think that, oh, we paid you this amount of money on this extension, and then we're going to pay you this amount of money on this extension. You got to get us over the hump. He's going to be like, no, I need another guy. And they're like, nope. And they're going to trade him. They're going to get a haul from some team, and they're going to pair him with some other superstar that ends up being a superstar. And then they're going to revert back to what they were in the you know early 2010s, 12s, when they were just winning. 47, 48, 50 games, playing tough defense, not really having a star, and just being relevant enough to sell tickets. That's a team decision. Charlotte can get LaMelo Ball, Lonzo Ball, Giangelo Ball. They can can do whatever they want to do to build their teams, but teams don't want to do that. Uh, I didn't OKC pay Harden. Exactly. You can... You need, like, you need these players. It's not just scheme. New England needs Bill Belichick, but he also needs players. But without Bill Belichick, it might kind of falter because the head coach in the NFL team is responsible for so much of the team. If your special teams is bad, if your your back-end defense is bad, if your defensive line coach is bad, or if they're good. Like, all these things benefit you as the head coach because you're in charge of hiring these people, training these people installing your system and making sure they can install it. It's a lot going on. 
at the NBA, you got 15 dudes. You play about nine, 10, four or five dudes get zero minutes all year long. It's ridiculous. I don't know why you're, you're paying five dudes to do nothing. Right. So why wouldn't you want to pay the guys that can do something? Stan so Tony, would it help? Dante Murray to go in this, uh, was we, we Yama. That's the problem. So when that doesn't happen, then they just, they tank. And it's like, yo, you expect me to, if you're going to tank, the ticket should be $25. It should be a cutoff <laughs> of what you can charge for the tickets. Like, straight up. Like, I think, so, honestly, so what it, you want to put me, if you want me to come watch this game and you're not trying to win, then I can't spend more than the $50 for two tickets. So would it help if, and I know this is probably impossible, but would it help if the NBA had flex scheduling, you know, to where like, a team like Sacramento this year is the third seed in the West, and they were probably picked to be bottom of the West. Like, would that help if you could flex more Sacramento games onto the major networks? I mean, I think I think it could. I think it could. But you – I don't think winning ultimately in a sport where you don't wear any kind of headgear, when people can see you and people can follow you as a person. Mm-hmm. There's probably so many people that have – Cleveland, Miami, Laker, 23 and Laker 6 jerseys in their closet because they're just fans of LeBron. I'm not saying it's like a fraudulent thing. They're just fans of LeBron. People love Carmelo. You know, not Mellow Ball, the real Mellow, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, people like LaMelo Ball. I think people like people like Lonzo Ball. People like his dad. I think people just like who they like. People like Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade's part owner in Utah. There's nothing right. to do with Miami. I mean, it's complete right. part of Miami. But if you like Dwayne Wade, you might be, you know what? I want Utah to do well because you like Dwayne Wade. So De'Aaron Fox has to get into the All-Star game. He yeah. has to. You got to put him in NBA commercials. I think that's one thing. Like, if you want, and he didn't make the All-Star game. You, yeah. you know, and 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 that's you my gotta, and that's where gotta, and that's what I'm saying. Better if you're gonna if you're gonna promote players, you have to find a way to promote players on every team. Subsequently, all these small market teams, you got to keep your players. You can't just tank and hope. It hasn't worked. I don't know if it's worked. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, Philly kind of worked, but, you know, but they did things later. But they did things later that it's like the Stafford argument. You know, they tanked, but then they did other things that subsequently. The the tanking wasn't the successful element. The the tanking was a part of the process, like the trusted process. But it didn't work. Right. They got Simmons out of it. I got a what, 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 what that's $20 because they traded him away. I got it brand new from Champs for $20. Well, that's why I brought up that's why I brought up the Kings, you know, because you read my mind. You know, but but it was but that's where I was going with that. Because like in the NFL, like just looking at say Philadelphia right now, you know, Jalen Hurts came into the league, you know criticized as a quarterback was he going to work was it going to be successful or whatever the case may be and now like that they're in the Super Bowl or whatever there's a certain validation that you know came with the people that supported him and you know even now you get to do the whole him and Mahomes are the first two black quarterbacks to play each other in the Super Bowl whereas like a story like De'Aaron Fox you know if the Kings were to somehow make it to the Western Conference Finals this year I don't think people would be like wow, that's awesome. Like, I think people would be like, eh, it was a fluke. Like, 
get him out of here. Or, you know, the problem is these small market teams then buy into this narrative that no one's watching us because we're a small market. And then they'll trade the Aaron Fox for a bunch of random picks and he'll end up on some other team. And then that team will be on TV. They'll trade him to L.A. because L.A. makes that move. They'll trade him to the Knicks because the Knicks want to make that move. They'll trade him somewhere like Miami, one of these teams that feel as if because they're a big market team, they got to make a big splash. And they're like, oh, well, we're a small market team. We got to make a, we got to do something, i.e. the Detroit, L.A. NFL trade. Los Angeles should not have made that trade. For what they gave up, leveraging their future on someone, if if Matthew Stafford was 29 and Jared Goff was like 24, 25, you weren't sure, okay, I get it. You want to make a move. Stafford's over 30. He had a whole career in Detroit where he was, in most sports, professional sports, eligible for retirement. But this narrative that we're a big market, we got to make a splash, and then we're a small market, we we don't have the leverage. It just people just buy into that. It's like you don't have to do that. You can just pay the Aaron Fox, and then you can make your ticket prices a certain way so you fill your stadium every single night, and you can sell the twelve dollar hot dogs and the fourteen dollar beers. But you don't have you haven't put on the show. You haven't put on enough of a show to charge you charge. I'm not paying the same price for an Atlantic City hotel room as I'm paying for a Vegas one. Vegas is the bigger show. I'm not saying Atlantic City is not a good time, but I'm not going to spend $800 for a week in Atlantic City. Oh, no, I'm not going to be excited to spend $800 for a room in Atlantic City, even though you want to charge that when I can just go to Vegas. I looked up, I remember, I looked this up, I don't get on tangent, but like just that, just trying to get that comparison. One Fourth of July, I was here and I was like, I want how much a room down Atlantic City costs. I looked it up and I was like, it seems ridiculous. So I'm like, I'm going to look up a flight to Vegas and a hotel room. Yeah. It was cheaper for me to fly from Jersey to Vegas than it was to just get a hotel room in Atlantic City. Right. So if you want teams to stay successful, you got to put on the show. Technical difficulties, you see, we get to go. We're back at You have to put on the show. You have to, Atlanta Falcons, cheapest concessions in professional sports. But listen, we haven't put on a good show on the field. They don't sell a lot of tickets, but at least the people come to the game can get a $3 hot dog, mm-hmm. $2 soda. Do something else. You have to be intrinsically motivated as an organization to make sure you're put on the best product in lieu of begging the NBA to put you on TV. Right. You in the stadium, they'll put you on TV. Like in the NFL, they'll black up the games, your home games, if your stadium's not full. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, listen, you got to get the people locally to come to the game. We're not putting this on TV so people don't come to the game. It's like, yeah, you might, we might play it nationally and they'll angle it to where they only focus on certain parts of the stands where it's packed. But your local fans, you're not going to see the game if you don't come to the stadium. That's the job of the team. That's the job of the owner, not the job of the NBA, not the job of the NFL to make sure your small market.
Don't fire your coaches. Don't underpay your players. Don't trade them when they ask for money. Don't try to tell them, oh, we're a small town. We have small town values. No, you need to pay them the $200 million that they're warranted if they're your star player. You need to pay them whatever they max for their rookie contract. Whatever these extensions are, you have to pay them for that. Yeah, and they even give you the extra year, you know, if you sign with your uh, current team. Your guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they even give you that extra year and like an extra $70 million or something like that. So from the player standpoint, you know, leaving, you know, if you do leave, that leaves money on the table. So hopefully, you know, somebody like Giannis has started a trend where these stars might look a little bit at staying you know, for a little bit longer. But it takes the ownership to give them the reason as well. The because ownership, they are just cheap. It's that simple. They can say, oh, the Rams, the Rams owner is, he's married to a Walton. So Kroenke is already, was already a billionaire before he part, bought the team. He married to a Walton. They own Walmart. She was a billionaire when they got together. Yes, they have money. So if you can't afford to pay your players $200 million, then sell your team and go back to whatever business got you enough money to buy the team in the first place. Don't sit here and try to shortchange people and have people try to come to these games and spend all this money on these tickets. And you got low management when your team is 16 and 41. Like we don't, people don't have time for that. We don't have time for the excuses. Yeah. And, uh, and all, uh, owners do and make it successful. And all, I would cross the street. If I saw a black dude in a hoodie, Mark Cuban better get his shit together before he lose Luca. He gonna pay him. Uh, he well, no, no, it ain't about paying him. It's about are you like your argument? Are you gonna get somebody in there, you know, to he help me out? Yeah, they just don't perform. You know, I mean, he, I don't. He still might be paying Porzingis. Well, hey, they said they said they in the talks for Kyrie, so we'll see. I don't know if I like that fit, but we'll see. Yeah, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> Not even, I don't want to on a video game. I think it might be it only would work on a video game. But what does work is Mr. LeBron Raymond James. You know, it is time for appreciation day. <laughs> so, you know, 36 points away from uh the all-time scoring record. So, you know, in my mind, you know, I was like I see no other way for this to happen. Then against Milwaukee, you know, hitting a hook shot, you know, <laughs> looking o- or sky hook, looking into the crowd with his, with his with his fake ass scowl, you know, you know, whatever the case may be, just to get at Kareem just a little bit for some comments that Kareem has made over the years. But Kareem has been very cordial. Now he has. I mean, he has definitely. I ain't going to say he criticized LeBron. I just think that dudes nowadays are a little bit more sensitive and you have to like me and, you know, anything you say against me is hate, you know? So Kareem came from a different era. He said some things about LeBron and, you know, everybody's all, why is Kareem hating? Why is Kareem hating? Like, you know, the dude is just an old dude, man. They just, we just look at the world differently. Oh yeah. Old dudes don't have this filter. I ain't sensitive. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, the one thing that, not to take away from LeBron Appreciation Day, but the one thing that I will say, Always something. The, the one thing I will say is stop telling me that this dude is about to break the record as a pass first guy. You know, stop telling me like, 
oh, he's he's not even a scorer, and he's about to break the record. When his lowest point per game was his rookie year at 20.9, and beyond that, he's never averaged lower than 25. You are not a pass-first guy if you average 25 points. Kobe Bryant is not a pass-first guy. Tracy McGrady is not a pass-first guy. Michael Jordan is not a pass-first guy. You know who are? John Stockton, Chris Paul, Steve Nash. Those are pass-first guys that can get you 14 to 16 points, maybe, and end up with 11 or 12 assists. Or what. So LeBron will get you 10 assists, but that's the beauty of being LeBron James. I'm going to get you 10 assists and – I'm going to get you 34 points. Like, stop telling me that he's passed first just because he passed it to Kyle Korver. You know, like, that doesn't make him pass first. He just passed in a moment. He passed the open guy, similar to another guy passed a couple open guys. Yeah, similar to that guy, that ghost in Chicago. NBA, NBA Finals history, you know, just those shots went in. You know, another thing, I'm not going to – we ain't going to get into this, but just because LeBron breaks this record, does not automatically make him the GOAT, you know, like just, you know, because I, I saw some things on Twitter the other day, you know, we're 63 points away from never hearing that Jordan is the GOAT ever again. People are not going to change their opinions because LeBron broke a record. That is such a ridiculous, like, I've heard, I've heard some former NBA players say, if he breaks the record, then I'll consider him the GOAT. And like, so... All he needs is a few more points. Yeah, like if he gets just the, shot tomorrow. All, all the stuff that is encapsulated in this 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 mythical crowning of GOAT. All yeah. the arguments, all the factors, team, era, this, that, this, that, this advanced stat, this regular stat, win-loss record. <laughs> all of that stuff has already been argued tooth and nail. But him passing a different guy most points all the time will then make him the goat over the guy he that everyone already passed him that he already passed in points yeah well he needs to pass another guy in points he needs to pass my goat to i mean oh my bad i said we weren't gonna do that but but yeah uh you know but at the end of the day it's ridiculous you know what i mean and i think that the beautiful part of it is that lebron shows the value of taking care of yourself staying in shape and eating right and you know, just investing in yourself and in your body, you know, because this record, as great as he is, because, I mean, right now he's averaging the most points that anyone this age has ever averaged. You know, he's averaging. Saying that now, like. No, because, <laughs> no, because the, we can't stop saying that because I, I wrote something down okay, that I'm going to say. Man, I'm just sick of hearing these ESPN on oh, the first guy on the Wednesday with a wind chill of 30 outside to hit six jumpers from the left side. No. Oh, age of 36 like we get it he is 38 years old and he's killing it no we cannot no we cannot we cannot stop saying that we cannot stop saying that because if we because if we stop saying that no because if we stop saying that then i can't say that kobe bryant is second by averaging 17.6 i did the research let me get my stat off Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let me get my stat off, damn it. Forty-five <laughs> percent of what LeBron's giving you. So this, like I said, the stats just—I I just think like some of these stats, man. It, it just—it's just. I think the goat argument is is ridiculous. Um, I think it's been beaten to death. 
I don't know what new question you can come up with. I, if people really cared about getting this GOAT debate, this mythical conversation truly vetted and truly brought out there, email Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's people, email Jordan's people, email LeBron's people, get them in a room with Bryant Gumble or Obama or somebody to get them to hash this out so we can stop having this conversation. I just think that what he's doing as an individual basketball player for his teams and what he's done over the league over 20 years, yes, I don't think any of it will be repeated. Mm-hmm. I think I feel the same way about Tom Brady. I don't think guys are going to play that long. I don't know when the big contracts started. I think the first contract that I can remember LeBron signing, remembering the numbers, was the Miami deal. And I think they said he took less money, but him, Bosch, and Wade all had $100 million contracts. Mm-hmm. Like six, They're like five- or six-year deals. So I don't recall, um, you know, like how much money he was making early. But I know that his first rookie extension was nowhere near what Zion and John Morant got. And this other, their second extension was nowhere near what Jokic and Giannis and what these guys got. So I just can't imagine that at 31, 32, John Morant, Zion Williamson already on extension number three at that point, which will probably be over 300 million for like four years, give or take. Because I think Jokic's got 265. Mm-hmm. Can't imagine these guys playing too much past 32. Well, I don't. I don't... So like, I don't know. What, I don't know what the number is now, but how crazy is it that you know five years ago, you know Kevin Garnett had made more money than anybody that ever played in the NBA, and then that just went. Yeah, and that just went. But but you know, but back to my first two hundred million guy I can remember from Houston. He yeah. got two hundred. Mm-hmm. But, but then Mike Conley got like one forty. Remember people going crazy over mm-hmm. that? Yeah, because he was the highest paid player in the league. Yeah, so I just don't see a lot of guys playing long enough to eclipse what LeBron did. And then his prime. Mm-hmm. His prime, if you went with prime based off like what people consider your age prime, like you're 24 to 30, if you just look at that as like prime, those numbers were crazy. But the nine... NBA Finals in 10 years. I'm not even counting the first one where he went with San Antonio because there's a few years in between that he got started going when he went to Miami. So his prime years were probably those years that San Antonio in the three, four years after that where he didn't get to the finals. That was probably considered his prime. I think Cleveland was winning like 60 games, 58 games, 65 games, somewhere in that range for that time, and then he went to Miami. So, essentially, he should have been on the tail end of his prime when he got to Miami. But the 10 years after that, he went to the finals nine times and won four of them. So, just, it's the same thing with Tom Brady. Tom Brady won early rings and then went 10 years without winning a Super Bowl and then won four in, like, seven years after that. Like, this kind of stuff just doesn't happen. And I think what is happening right now with two guys 
that are, I'm pretty sure they have an ego. I'm pretty sure that they are tough on coaches, tough on teammates. I'm pretty sure they are quote unquote divas and they, they have particular things that they want to happen and trainers and things like that. I get it. They want a certain amount of money. But what they bring to your team, the success level that your team rises to, it doesn't compare to anybody else but the two of them. And the two of them are just absolute anomalies. So between Tom and LeBron, just like our, you know, our our appreciation post today, it's just what LeBron does. Like you, you can't, if you are a basketball analyst, if you don't like, like if you don't like that, you don't like NBA basketball. If you can't just appreciate the totality of LeBron's career, then you don't like basketball. Well, that's that's why I always tell people, and you know, you know, I can get my guy Curtis Smith on here to verify because I actually said this in his living room. You know, everybody thinks of me as this LeBron hater because you know he's not necessarily my cup of tea. But the conversation that we had was, you know, LeBron is like. I look at him like family and to some degree, you know what I mean? Like I can talk bad about him, but I ain't going to let you talk bad about him. So when it comes to these arguments, you know, first of all, if you don't have him at least in your top three, yeah, I don't care if he's one or two or three, but if he ain't in your top three, just don't talk to me. Like, just don't talk to me because I know we can talk about the teammates. People talk about team hopping. People talk about trying to have everything in your favor. But you still got to have the accomplishment to go with it. Like, you can, the teams can do these things, or he could be lay GM or whatever people call him. But this stuff still has to work. And when I look back at Cleveland, you know, because I was one of those people at one point. But for the fact that he got that team to the finals after Kyrie left, you know, what he did against Detroit. You know, I can't help but appreciate him, even though just like James Harden, right? Like he does all these great things. He has numbers. The way he plays basketball is just not my cup of tea. Like I just don't rock with James Harden in that way. But I will never make it sound like the dude is a bum or, you know, that he's not a top whatever player. And that's how I feel about LeBron, you know, and being appreciation day is that it might not have been aesthetically you know, because I did grow up with Jordan and I wasn't a Jordan fan per se, but there was just something magical and mythical about Jordan's game at times that you just saw. And LeBron's game doesn't look like that. So, you know, Kobe looked like that because, you know, he was basically Jordan's seed or whatever, you know. So from yeah. that standpoint, like LeBron didn't look that way in my eyes or whatever, but you don't have to look that way to be acknowledged, you know. So even though he's not my cup of tea, my preference, whatever you want to call it. Like, I can't sit up here and just deny the impact that he's had on the game of basketball. Like, everybody says that Steph Curry has this impact because everybody's shooting threes now or whatever the case may be. But LeBron has that Jay-Z quality where he just does something and everybody follows it. You know, he went to Miami. So now Durant got to be a punk and go to Golden State. You know, Steph Curry has to be the punk to let – Kevin Durant come take over his house, you know, um, you know, Kawhi had, you know, I'm not coming here unless y'all get Paul George, you know what I mean? So like, you know, LeBron, like he, he didn't necessarily do it in that way, but he set the trend. And then now in LA now, like teams could still be super teams and still could go get three superstars if they want to, but they aren't, 
you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, you got to make it work. And I think what people are realizing that what he did made it work. And it doesn't, it does, it's not automatic. Like there was a lot of conversations probably 2014, 15, 16, and that, that general range is like, who's next? Who's next? I'm like, no, LeBron is, is still here. Like he still is that guy. And I think people, like I said, we, the pundits want to pick the next guy first just so they can have the sound bite that they can play in black and white on Twitter of them saying, oh, I told you Patrick Mahomes was going to be next, or I told you Joe Burrow was going to be the next Tom Brady. And in the NBA, it's been one guy's been at the top of the mountain, even with the success of other teams, Steph Curry's success, Kevin going to Golden State and having success. That's That formula is not, you know, it's not equitable. It's not repeatable. Like, you, everyone can't do what that, team did the first year with Golden State when they for, won their first championship and they won 67 games it was like well this jump shooting team worked but they also had a lot of tough defensive guys in the middle and then their bench also shot threes so it wasn't just Steph and Clay out there killing it it was like you could put Harrison Barnes and stuff on the floor Barbosa and Clay Thompson and Dream like you could put combinations together on the floor and it's called the lineup of death when they would put all their shooters out there and, and, and they made it work, but they also had that other gritty part to it. And then they lost, they got Kevin Durant. They went back to the three NBA finals, a couple of guys got injured. Kawhi went, so like, oh, Kawhi's going to go. It's going to be his now. Like, no, like what they were doing was an anomaly. A healthy and, it, and it's not as if Kawhi LeBron. beat them at full strength. Yeah, a healthy LeBron in that same stretch, everybody, he was in the finals nine out of 10 years. In that in that stretch of times so was like he was quintessentially for that decade the system, and you just put pe- people around him that can be replicated if you can get LeBron because it was proven. Miami got LeBron, they put pieces around him, four straight NBA Finals. LeBron goes back to Cleveland, so Cleveland got LeBron, they put pieces around him, they go to four straight NBA Finals. LA needs a system. LeBron goes to LA, he has a couple of bad years, um, then he got injured. Then the COVID year happened, and then they all went down to Orlando and to the bubble, and then they, everyone played in the playoffs. Everyone flew their teams down there. Everyone who was allowed to fly their family down there, they were all down there. All the coaches down there. No they, home court advantage. Adam Silver went down there. They had the trophy. They were ready to do this, and the Los Angeles Lakers won the championship that year. So you can go down. You can say, oh, well, he did this to his teams, or the teams were like this after he left. Teams, every team looks like that when they lose a superstar. It just so happened he left on his own, but he fulfilled his contract. You know what contracts were going to be. So, like, he he was the system. And I think a lot of players, a lot of Milwaukee being the recent team that's done it the way people want you to do it. You draft your star, put pieces around them, have your star elevate you to championship status. Well, that's what LeBron did the first time in Cleveland. It's just that the year that he was like, hey, this, you know, I'm waiting to try to get this a contract. You fired the GM, the coach. You didn't draft anybody. You had Shaq on the team for a while. I was like, yeah, like, I'm at that point, what was he, seven years? Then he's 24, 25. He's like, I can't, you can't, I can't wear 23 and be compared to Jordan. And then you give me a team that can't compete with Orlando Magic or can't compete with Boston. You see what's going on here. So, like, this Miami team is, is is putting me in position to do it, so I'm going to go to Miami. 
So I think the player movement, the player mobility, people try to blame it on him. Like I heard a coach try to blame the transfer portal on LeBron James. It's just, you take all the ancillary stuff away and you just look at the basketball. The guy's about to score, about to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar all times points in the NBA. And you can do it. You can Google top 10 list of scores right now. He won't be on it. And can I, and can we please stop? And this is at the media. Can we please stop with the who's the best at this? You know, is it Tom Brady? Is it LeBron? Is it Jordan? Is it Serena Williams? Is it like, we don't have to do all that. It's just lazy analysis. It's lazy conversation. There's no way to quantify your answer because you don't have all the answers, you know, but, um, but getting back to LeBron for a second, you know, I think that he came, it's just a perfect storm, you know, because social media was starting to blow up, you know, around the time that he came in the league and, it's it's kind of like Trump syndrome because I get tired of hearing his name. I get tired of talking about him. I get tired of seeing his name on posts or whatever it might be. But it goes back to the Trump thing. Like, you know, he wouldn't have been president if CNN or whoever that was complaining about him wasn't shoving a microphone in his face every five seconds. You know, so, so with LeBron, you know, like some of these questions, you know, like he got upset about the Jerry Jones. Nobody asked him about Jerry Jones. You know what I mean? Like, they can ask anybody about Jerry Jones. It don't necessarily have to be LeBron. You know, you can ask Giannis about Jerry Jones. I mean, he ain't from America, I guess. But, you know, you can ask Kawhi about Jerry Jones. That'll get him to talk. I don't know. But but the point is, is that we shove these microphones in people's faces. We ask these questions. We 24-7 media everything. And then we take it out on the player as if it's his fault, you know. And I'm guilty of that. You know, like, that was the reason why, besides the fact that he was a Gator, that was the reason why I hated Tim Tebow. Because it was just in your face all the time. But it ain't Tebow's fault that Skip Bayless made a song or that, you know, like all these people, you know, got on TV and started talking. You know, I, I, LeBron just came up in that era of social media. So it's easy to point all the criticism at him. Whereas, you know, I don't know how Jordan or whoever else would have reacted if they came up in that social media area. Like Jordan might have choked out a reporter. I don't know. Listen, you know how. <laughs> I would have been because I was talking about this yesterday. There was no digital footprint mm-hmm. when we were making our moves growing up, 80s and 90s teenagers. So me and my cousins, if we were somewhere at a cookout or a party or a skating ring and someone reported back to my aunt, oh, I saw Ralph Sandero doing this. No proof? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, LeBron is like, I saw a video of LeBron. It was it was it was stupid, but it like it kind of summed up where somebody else would have got caught up. Two videos real quick. It was like a video of Clay Thompson. I saw he was it was like TMZ following him. He had like a black SUV, and it was like a, a couple of women walking with him. So either someone on his team like closed the door, some kind of message was exchanged. The truck drives down the street, turns a corner. TMZ obviously follows them. And then the women who were trying to get in the SUV out in front of the restaurant just got in, like, on the corner. Like, they just drove around the corner and they got in and then drove off. So it was like, that was super petty. LeBron was walking out of somewhere and some women were following him. He ran down the wrong way escalator. So the escalator was coming up. He came around the corner. 
and just ran down. So it was like they couldn't even follow him if they wanted to try. Like that's the kind of stuff he has to do because of social media. Maybe he would have done it anyway back in the day, or but maybe he would have been able just to walk out of the door and someone from his team could have been like, yo, y'all chill out, whatever the case may be, pre-cameras. But knowing the cameras, you're like, I got to go this far over the top to show, like, listen, I'm trying to get out of Dodge. And he right. Literally. So they were all standing at the top of the escalator, like, and the dude was holding the camera. And it was like, well, I guess this video is no good. And he just put the camera down. But that, like, that's the difference. Like, that's stuff he, he has to deal with. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a lot of pressure with that. Probably some, you know, just the stress of that. But in the same sense, you take all that consideration. You take all the Jerry Jones question. The reason he brought up the Jerry Jones question, like, listen, y'all asked me about everything else related to race. You didn't. You asked me about Kaepernick. You asked me about a, a police shooting. You asked me about when they stopped playing the games in the bubble. It wasn't even his call. The right. players had that conversation. I don't know who sparked it, but that wasn't even LeBron's call. But that it was, was well, Kyrie tried to stop it. <laughs> Kyrie didn't want to go to the bubble at all. Yeah, and, and and see, and that's where and that's where like I think that was the that was one of the turning points that I had was you know I just stepped back, and you know mental health has become more of a public thing nowadays, definitely from when we were growing up. So, you know, um, as I heard Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan, or DeMar DeFrozen, as I like to call him, you know, like when I heard them, you know, talking about mental health and how um, it's this stuff is taxing, you know, to them, it, it made me appreciate LeBron just a little bit more because, you know, he is the center of all social media when it comes to sports and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So for the fact that he hasn't had a mental breakdown or, you know, in the middle of a game, just start crying literally outside of like jumping on the floor or whatever he did against Boston last week, like whatever that was. He hasn't slapped a a fellow NBA player all these years of the fouls, the hacking, uh, people talking slick about him and wanting to join his team. Um, I think Jay Crowder was talking about nobody cares about that bubble ring. Like he wasn't on the Miami Heat. I mean, like, all of the backlash, uh, the stuff, the uh, conversation I had, I think a topic I'll bring up later, but just like that whole, like just all this stuff and just to be able to just be like, after this game, I'm going to go drink some wine, send the cold tub, then tomorrow I'm going to go see my, gun, my son's game, and then I'm going to do my podcast, I'm going to film Space Jam 3. And I'm gonna go try to buy me another sports team because I got a soccer team. Maybe I try to buy a rugby team in New Zealand. Go get me some more man purses. Compartmentalize and just and just move on, and then still come out. And it's not even comparing him at you know his age and his time in the league to just us regular people. Like at 38, I probably could run. I could do my Air Force PT test at 38, but I didn't want to. I just did it because I was like, well, I'm about to retire. Like I'm about to just do it. And, I, you know, I was functioning. I'm like, I'm not falling apart, obviously. I'm only 41. I'm not 901. But if you can compare him to guys who've been in the league 13, 14, 15 years, if you look at Dirk, I watched, I saw a video of Dirk playing pickleball the other day. He was not moving around very well. Like, he looked I, like he played in the NFL. Yeah, he yeah he was moving like Earl Campbell. So yeah. it was like, it's the, the, the toll it takes in your body to to play this many games. Yeah, keep in mind that stretch when he was going to all those finals, they were playing like 100 games a year. 
Mm-hmm. Over, he was playing in over 100 games a year, every year. Then the Olympics, then the FIBA tournaments, then the exhibition stuff that he was doing, then just travel. And you know, and 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 I and I got bad news, you know, for all you LeBron haters and all you people that are tired of him, because he got two sons in the chamber too. Yeah. So as I was saying, you know, like you know, for all these people that are sick of LeBron, tired of hearing his name and all this stuff, he got two sons in the chamber coming. So it ain't going nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, and I admit, I get a little tired of his sons too. Like, or at least Bronny, from the standpoint of, you know, like. Carmelo got a good son, and you know, saying Wade got a good son, like you know, like you know, why ain't they getting the attention that you know? And and, and the simple answer is because it's LeBron, you know. But at the end of the day, like the dude is here to stay, you know. He's going to be a staple in sports all the way until his end or whatever the case. He's going to own a basketball team in Las Vegas before 2027. Yeah. So you know, like. You know, like, I just, you know, I wanted to appreciate LeBron just from the standpoint of, you know, like I said, even as a non-fan, you know, just the things that he's done over the last, you know, 20 years or whatever the case may be, like, it's just, it's just awesome to see. Because, you know, I've always, like, younger Mike Yodo, I always compared him to Peyton Manning. Like, you brought up the system, you know, so, like, him and Peyton Manning were a gift and a curse. You know, they were the system. So you were stuck with it. There was no adjustment. There was no, hey, LeBron, can you try this? Or Peyton, can you do this? They were just who they were. And it worked out so beautifully that sometimes I can't help but think, you know, if there was something like a little adjustment here and there, like how even greater they would be. But, you know, but that was an unfair criticism back then because, you know, I can say that about anybody that ever played a sport. I can say, you know, what if Michael Jordan would have beat Larry Bird once or twice? So, you know, like we can always do these things, you know, and and I had to step back. And, you know, and, you know, we talk about two five, right? Like the whole two five thing came along because I was arguing with everybody. Now I'm two five because I'm backing up into my corner and coming back yeah. out with these things that people don't change their mind on, you know, and, and that doesn't make me a LeBron fan nowadays. Like I still feel the ways about LeBron that I feel about him. But I just think that, you know, Roman Reigns style, he is he deserves some acknowledgement. You know what I mean? Like it, it just is what it is. He's about to be the all time leading scorer, you know, the little kid from Akron. You know what I mean? Born born in the same hospital as, as Steph Curry, you know. But uh real quick before we wrap this up, you know, how long is record gonna last? Forever. I think it's, I think once he breaks it, like I said, the money, like you, you're not going to, the grind, Tom Brady has a $37 million a year job lined up. So him saying that little retirement video, it comes with a, I'm going to get to do football, but have conversations about it for $37 million a year. I right. think it makes it an easy transition. So, Luca at 34, is he going to play four or five more years? Trey Young at same age, is he going to play? The, are these guys going to play until they're 39? Because that's what you need. Either you change the NBA season to 100 games, and they can collect these regular season points up and more, you know, feverishly, or you play until you're 37, 38. 
I don't see guys doing that considering they're getting $200 million deals before they can rent cars. Well, I think Easy Money Sniper might play until he's like 46 because we ain't going to see him on TV. So he might play until his legs literally. Oh, fall Kevin, off. great on TV. You know what I'm saying? Now, I don't want to see Easy Money Sniper I on TV. I want to see him on TV. I'd, ra- I'd rather see Ed Reed on TV. Kevin Durant is going to be great on TV. You know, you know who I want on TV? You know who I want on TV? I want Kyrie on TV. I don't want Kyrie on TV. I yep. want Kyrie on TV. I want Kyrie in the town hall meeting. I want Kyrie and, on TED Talk. And I also want a dissertation on flat earth from him. You know, I want a dissertation on flat earth and why the earth is flat, why he believes the earth Man, is flat. I don't know how many times he actually brought that up, but everybody else seems to bring it up a lot. Hey, I, I just want that dissertation because I don't believe in flat earth. No, I, don't, I don't believe I don't believe in flat earth, but I watch a lot of flat earth YouTube. I watch I, like anytime I hear flat earth, I just get automatically interested. Man, you get trapped. I think I watched one thing. I was like, this just sounds. Yeah, so that's what you I need, need, you need from pretty Kyrie. people. You need pretty dressed up people to tell your story and people believe it. You need handsome. That, that, you need handsome that. people in suits, and 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 then attractive people in business skirts. Hey, I need that from Kyrie because he went to Duke University, which is a great university, so I know that he can explain it in ways that other people haven't explained it. And while we're on the topic of Kyrie Irving, you know, I have a feeling that you want to talk about Kyrie Irving a little bit. Yeah, I want to talk about Kyrie. I didn't want to wear the jersey because I wore it for one of these episodes already, but shout out to Kyrie. I'm sick of the fake, fake Fake oh, that this guy keeps experiencing. It just doesn't make any sense. He got suspended early this year for a tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was viewed as anti-Semitic. It went against the values of his organization and the league. You know, after after publicly came out, then all of a sudden the league was against it. But that's neither here nor there. So he did it. He did his time. He had his conversations. Um, he got his his pass or his blessings from whomever needed to leverage those to the NBA, the ownership, the ownership of his team, whomever needed to hear he was good to go. They got that message. They gave him the blessing. Let him go back out on the court. I'm pretty sure his feelings about Brooklyn never wavered. And then you expect him, you dangle him out there, he tells you what's going on, and then all of a sudden now he's suspended after all, it was like 11 days, when it was a while, it was a couple of weeks almost. So then you think like, oh, now he's going to be cordial to you in these negotiations? When you use the stuff that bothered you about him against him in negotiations. He has stuff about Brooklyn Nets that bothered him. So he has to use that in leverage in negotiations. And if you're having conversations where it's like, I don't think we're going to get over the hump, then trade me. Because obviously he doesn't feel respected there. And people can say, oh, well, he's getting paid to do a job. No, that's cool. We all get paid to do a job that we have. But if there was another job out there that would pay you the same or more and also respect you, I'm pretty sure you'd want that job, especially if you know you have the leverage to get it. 
there's probably a job out there that will pay us more in our retirement life. We don't know what it is, but if someone came calling, listen, man, I'll pay you double what you're getting paid here. And we respect veterans. And we just, and I'm like, and I understand that. And I go to my current contract, listen, man, you need to get me out of this because I have another opportunity. I appreciate you today here, but these people appreciate me this much. I want to go there. I want to spend my time and my day there. Same thing that just if, if the team owner wanted to sell the team, he's like, you know what? I'm done dealing with this business life. I'm going to sell Brooklyn. I'm going to get my $5 billion probably because it's a Brooklyn team, maybe four. We'll call it $4 billion. I'm going to get my $4 billion, break off the government for their taxes, whatever I got to do, and I'm out. He can he can do that. And they'll say, look at all the great things he did in Brooklyn. Or they'll say, oh, he did nothing in Brooklyn. It's irrelevant. He mm-hmm. has leverage to do that. Kyrie is a basketball player. He's a talented basketball player. He's averaging over 27 points a game. He's an all-star. He's won an NBA championship. He's still healthy. He's still young. He still has the arguably the greatest handle in the league. He can use his leverage to get to a place where he wants to be. He wants to move out of Brooklyn. He wants to move to L.A. He wants to move to Dallas. He wants to move to Minnesota. Wherever he wants to go, that's his leverage. People act like you got to be beholden to these contracts. There's plenty of lawyers who can get you out of contracts. There's plenty of ways to get out of contracts. You're not locked in a concrete. It's a contract. You don't want to give them a better one. You barely want to honor this current one. Then go ahead and let me go. Why keep me here disgruntled just to try to sign me to a longer deal when I don't want to be here? You obviously don't want me here. He must not have felt protected by the organization when he went through his pseudo suspension, reintegration. I don't know what they even call it. I don't think they call it a suspension, unpaid leave, whatever the case may be. All the people getting on TV acting like, oh, he should honor the contract are the same people who are saying Damian Lillard should get out of Portland. Are the same people saying that Russ shouldn't want to play because they want to trade you. Are the same people saying you should hold out LeBar because they don't want to pay you. But they get on TV and they're like, oh, I I've, I've respected this brother for so long. And for him to act this way when when they have a chance to win a championship, no one cares about that when you are not happy. I'm in a class right now, um, leadership and organizational development, and it's all about motivation. This guy did a TED Talk. People just assume in this antiquated ideology that oh, just money should be your ultimate motivator. No. That's not how it works. You can't just say, give someone more money to be more productive. Because if you give someone an idea, you give someone an opportunity to use what intrinsically is value to them, that will make them better. You can pay them accordingly, but not just saying, oh, I'm going to give you this much money. I need you to be this good. You have to tap into what people care about. And if Brooklyn and Kyrie, if you guys are on the same page, then make that move. Get them out of there. Get the best deal you can get and move on. Don't be petty and hold on and then leak stories to the media about what he requested. These conversations are private. He didn't go out there and say this out loud. He went in the office and had a meeting. Make it happen. Because if you were talking about selling your team and someone was ready to spend $6 billion on your team, you wouldn't go out there and say, this guy's thinking about buying my team for $6 billion, and he hasn't, he or she or this, this group hasn't gotten the money together because it'll fall apart. So what? when a player comes and asks for a trade, all of a sudden that information comes out, and then the fake outrage on ESPN, all these pundits that have these platforms, are like, oh, you can tell he wouldn't be trusted. 
But guarantee you, if he's out there shooting another jump shot on the right wing to win an NBA championship, everybody's going to jump right back on his knee. That's it. So it seems that unintentionally hypocrisy has become a theme on this show. (laughs) So I would be remiss if I didn't bring up some hypocrisy. You know, so being an 80s baby, I'm old enough to remember the bad boy Pistons. I'm old enough to remember Larry Bird out here and Kevin McHale clotheslining people and beating up Bill Lambeer. I remember seeing Charles Barkley shoot a free throw with a black eye. You know, like things were rough out here in these NBA streets, you know. So, you know, I've always been a bit of a believer. I try not to stay in the 80s or whatever the case and try to say basketball was basketball and men were men. You know, I try not to do that thing. But one thing that I did take from that era was you're not going to score a layup on me. You know, like you're not going to come down the middle of this lane and finish with a layup and jot up the court like you just picked the flower. Like, I'm not going to try to hurt you. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to injure you. But I can't let you get that shot off. Go earn those free throws. Where we cross the line is when you got jackasses like Dylan Brooks in the league hitting people in the nuts. And as you already know, all nuts matter. So, you know, Stephen Adams nuts are just as important as LeBron's. I said that, you know, so Dylan Brooks is out here just being dirty. Now, the thing about it was those guys from the 80s when I looked at or 90s, even when I looked at Anthony Mason, when I looked at Charles Oakley, they looked the part. They looked tough. They looked like, oh, damn, like Oakley pissed off. I don't want to run into him in the alley. Nobody says that about Dylan Brooks. Like Dylan Brooks, how dare you talk trash to Shannon Sharp when you get knocked down by Donovan Mitchell? No disrespect to Spider, but you get it. You know, the point being, why you being tough? So, you know, I started thinking about defensive stoppers because apparently that's what he is. I don't believe that's what he is, but that's what I'm told that he is. I haven't seen it. Yeah, so I go back and I look at people like Bruce Bowen, for example. You know what I mean? He was just as dirty as Dylan Brooks, but he kept his mouth shut and just played basketball. You know, he wasn't dirty from the intent of I'm going to take you out. He was dirty from the standpoint of I'm crafty, I'm a vet, and I know that the ref doesn't see these little things. But he wasn't hitting people in the face. He wasn't elbowing people or whatever, just like, you know, me. Little five foot nine me was a jump shooter. And whenever I would go up for the jumper, once the other team realized that I was good at this, They might elbow me in the ribs, you know, as I'm going up for that jumper, you know, like at the very last second, they might slap my elbow, you know, they weren't trying to hurt me. They were just trying to throw my shot off or whatever they could do in that moment. That's not what these people like Dylan Brooks are doing. They're going out here with a license to injure. And so the problem shouldn't even necessarily be with Dylan Brooks, but more so with his coach, maybe. But from that standpoint of, Tough basketball doesn't mean intentionally targeting somebody. Tough basketball isn't what Andrew Bynum did to J.J. Barrera, you know. So I am guilty of that 80s vision because I did like the bad boy Pistons. But it was more so I liked Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars. But I didn't want a whole league of bad boy Pistons. It's okay for one team to have an identity. I don't want the whole league. But Memphis doesn't even have that identity. Their identity is just shit talking. And, you know, people say, 
will act like they've been there before. But then I see Draymond Green talking trash, and y'all tell him to shut up too. They actually have been there before. So is it just not the way you want it to look? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I see Luca had memes about all the shit that he was talking to the Suns, and everybody loved it. So I don't know what you fans want. Like, do you want tough basketball? Do you want personalities? Because I hear that everybody is bland. Because I can't tell, because y'all complain about everything. So I tried to be mad at Dylan Brooks, but then it turned around, and I just ended up mad at y'all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I told you I got all this rage. I'm mad at everybody. So I need to know, and y'all can leave some comments in YouTube. You know, y'all can, you know, hit us up. You know, I'm on Twitter at, you know, 2-Bit Reports. I'm on Instagram at MLW25. Collectively, Sports Report is ordered. Let us, on Instagram, let us know. What do y'all want? Do y'all want tough basketball? Do y'all want personalities? Or do you just want everybody to be choir boys and shut up unless you want a championship? I just don't know. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to get off my chest that I like everybody being individuals. And if Dylan Brooks is just a dickhead, be a dickhead. You know, if Draymond Green is an asshole, be an asshole. But it shouldn't have to be you have to win X amount of championships to show some personality. Like, you are who you are. Be that, and the game will just authentically get better once this stuff is established. But I'm Mike Wilson. That's what I had to get off my chest. Once again, want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, thank everybody for watching on YouTube. You know, looking forward to interaction on Twitter. Fear My Wrath. That's Fear, F-E-A-R. M-Y-R-A-F. Keep it simple. Uh, come at me. Like, I like to have these debates. Just make sure you can qualify and quantify your argument because I will crush you if you can't. Um, like I said, you follow MLW on Instagram, Sports Reports Order on Instagram, anywhere you get your podcast, YouTube, anywhere it's all set up. I mean, like I said, we just level of appreciation for the views as they tally up. Mike sends me updates every other day when the views go up. So it's a big deal. We want to thank everyone for listening, thank you. Uh, watching. Sincerely, uh, Mike, you want to send us off? Yes. And I, one thing and one person that I don't want to thank is that punk Satani Phil. You know what I'm saying? I'm not thanking him. And the only reason I said that is because I wanted to show you all that I can pronounce punk Satani. But anyway, you know, sports reporters ordered coming at you. Thank you so much for your support and love. Shout out to Red Bull. Shout out to Ryan Clark. Shout out to Dan Orlowski, even though you be saying some crazy stuff, I find you entertaining. Shout out Thank to you, America. Star, Nick Wright. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Thank you, America. We Shout love out. you. We appreciate your support. And see you next time. <laughs>